Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm Carolyn Ford here with Eric Traxler. Hi, Eric. Hey, uh, Carolyn. How are you? I'm good. Are you the right to be forgotten? I'm almost forgetting my mind here. This is good. What a topic. So I I was just going to ask you, Eric, if you've ever done something that you really regret and hope that never goes public. I never have. I don't think there's anybody around (laughs) over the age of about two, probably 12 months. Even two. I mean, like your son when he was a baby, right? He doesn't want that public. Right. So today. Yeah. All right. So today we're going to talk about the right to be forgotten with Gabe, with Gabe Gums, Chief Innovation Officer of Spirion. Good morning, Gabe. Good morning. So by the way, this is why I'm advocating for bringing back physical film. This way you can still have the negatives. There yes. you go. Right. But harder to steal too. Right. <laughs> well, so I'm an NPR junkie and I first heard about the right to be forgotten about a year ago on a radio lab episode. I have thought about that episode so many times because it really kind of started a moral dilemma within me um, just about should we should we scrub people's um, information online? Because back in the day before we had the Internet, if a if a story got published in the newspaper, people tossed the newspaper. It was super hard to find that story again. Right. You had to go to the library. Yeah. And even then. You may never find it. And you have to know to look, right? Right. But, How to look, yeah. Yeah. And, and these days, it's very different with the internet. And, right. There's, um, there's the adage that anything you put on the internet, you, you basically have to think you want everybody in the world to be able to see because they have the ability to. I believe right. the technical term is you cannot remove the pee from the pool. Tell we. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll go with now, that. Now I know the technical term. Yes. Also, and bring it around to like, what we do, cybersecurity, you know, it makes me think about, well, whose responsibility is that? Like with privacy laws, whose responsibility is it to get that stuff off the internet? Can it even be done? And then the, like the other philosophical questions about rewriting history and stuff like that. So Gabe, I really need you to give me some clarity here. I will try my best. First of all, also an NPR junkie, and I know the episode of Radio Lab of which you speak. It's a great episode for those that have not heard it. Um, totally worth checking out, Radio Lab in general. Um, I would start with, well, let's start with a couple of things. Let's start with what is the quote right to be forgotten? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's actually like labeled the right to be forgotten, although it, it, it may have a similar name. I haven't read the, the the specific legal language of, of GDPR in a while, although I, I processed most of it at this point. So I know that it is in Article 17 of the regulation, and it more or less applies to an individual's right to have their personal data erased under a number of circumstances. And one of those is if the data is no longer necessary for the purpose that an organization originally collected or processed it. And GDPR talks a lot about purpose, because um, purpose is very important when when tied to data collection and processing. There are a number of other uh, circumstances under which the right to be forgotten can be applied, right? Um, When an organization processed that that person's information unlawfully. And so you mentioned things like rewriting history. In the original 
in the original uh, impetus for the the reason for the right to be forgotten to to kind of come around, it was memory serves right in relation to a a court case where an individual had been wrongfully committed, uh, wrongfully accused of a crime, or maybe it was. It was expunged. I, I don't remember the exact details, but nonetheless, the circumstances of that had changed, and all the information on the internet about that person was, you know, at that point now, um, you know, not right. So th- there are a couple arguments there. You could you could argue that by removing all of it, you do change history. Or you could argue that you know you leave it all there and put a little asterisk, and you know, kind of like we do we do for all all the baseball players that we're choosing, right? So which one of those is actually rewriting history versus not? Because history did still happen. Um, in fact, so much so that we we're still even talking about that court case. Well, um, and even let's say that it wasn't wrongfully accused, like the guy actually did it, but it was 20 years ago and it was, you know, you don't get all the context around it. All you see if you search online is that he has an arrest, it's a, a felony, whatever. You, those are basically the con- the context that you get, right? Yeah. So well, he- it's interesting. I was in New York this weekend with a buddy who's a nurse, and at 21, he was caught peeing in the woods, public indecency. <laughs> I swear to God, we had this story. He was telling me this story. At 21, he was caught peeing in the woods in college, right? Right. Up all night partying, whatever. The cops brought him in for that. Right. He got went to court eventually, and it was supposed to be expunged from his record. He's now an EMT nurse working and like seven or 10 years later, I forget how many years later, somehow it popped up on a routine background to check background check. And they said, they have this guy and say, you're not going to be able to work here anymore. You were accused of indecent exposure, right? So major problem. He had to go back upstate New York and get it re-expunged from his record. And he tells me the story about how they were so sorry and blah, blah, blah. I mean, but even offense. if you get it expunged, it's still if, there. If a news, if a news uh, publication picks it up, so you get it expunged legally, and the records are sealed, but it's on Google, it's in the These newspapers days, online, right? So this you was can forty years it. ago, right? But it's still there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, 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 Gabe, help us. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, I have so many problems with, with that story in particular. It just those like, were the old days too. Right? It just. It just burns my soul of all it, it starting with over prosecution in general, which is not yeah. the purpose of the show, but seriously, like we're going to call a kid, a college kid in for peeing in the bushes. Like, okay. Um, and now this is how it affects his life. Thanks. Um, but there is another circumstance under which a, uh, an individual has the right to have that information deleted. And it is if that information no longer serves a legitimate interest for the justification of processing that data. So you could legally test the question, does that newspaper have a legitimate justification, um, a legitimate interest that justifies them publishing, you know, information about a 21 year old peeing in the bushes? One could argue that in in, in the uh, and I'm not a lawyer here, but, you know, you could argue that in just the in, in just the general sense of information being free and public knowledge, because it was maybe a public record at the time, that that is some type of legitimate interest. But it serves no one any good in knowing that. It literally mm-hmm. serves no one any good in knowing he got drunk and peed that night. So, you know, 
I, I certainly could see an argument to be made for there's no legitimate interest that justifies processing that data any further. But the problem you have here now is who's who's going to go test that case and and, uh, and and pick up that cause? I guess the ACLU, right. you could have something similar to that effect. But who would care is so inconsequential. But so inconsequential. does the newspaper have a right to expunge it or to remove it from the paper after the fact also? Well, but yeah. is it even possible to How remove do you do it? it? To be honest, is it even uh, possible once it's out there? So now you get into the real heat of the matter to, from the technical side of things. This is where I'm a lot more comfortable than the law side of things. Just so <laughs> We're taking I, you from urination in the woods to your, to your sweet spot, the technical side. Yeah, let's do it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Outside of my comfort zone and a little closer in. So how do you get rid of it? I mean, the short answer is you likely will never get rid of every single trace of it once it's on the internet. So if, if the information that was processed and part of that processing puts it out there, then you've got a very different problem. If the information that was being processed still exists just within the confines of the organization that processes it, then you can get rid of it, but you still have a bunch of other technical challenges there as well, too. Right. So there is the what does it actually mean to delete data or for it to be erased? There is. Strictly speaking, you can, you know, delete a data item, right? So like you can just get rid of the thing, big hard delete, overwrite all the ones in the zero so that it never it never shows up again. Um, then there are another there there's several other forms of deletion and or for abilities to forget data that that can come into play. So you can encrypt the data and only allow the keys to the data to be accessed by those that have a purpose for it, because there's some other provisions that state um, you may have to keep some of that information around for some of the legal purposes that might even be tax purposes if you know you're processing you're processing purchases of, of individuals, et cetera. Um, but then there's also the ability to monetize that data because that's what everyone's interested in, including that newspaper. They want to monetize that information they had about random drunk college dude, because clearly they have nothing better else to monetize. Um, so it was upstate New York. I, I don't think there's a whole lot going on back yeah, in the, uh, you're not whatever wrong. it was, the seventies. <laughs> you're not wrong. But, well, I can think of a lot of things going on upstate New York in the seventies. It was, wasn't there like a whole big, uh, you know, a bunch of people up there partying all weekend long, if I recall. It was the sixties, but <laughs> close. Were they close enough? <laughs> I sometimes we didn't leave till the seventies. They got there in the sixties. Danny could have still been there. You may be right. <laughs> but the example I like to use is, you know, the Amazons of the world and you, or any company that, that uh, you do business with, with online, a large part of how they monetize that data is in yes, selling you goods and services, but it's also in using that data to understand how to sell more goods and services to other people, which means analyzing that very specific data about the individual, you know, people like, like Carolyn who live within this zip code, have these buying habits, you know, all of the other data points they can, they can access about that individual and people in their circles and, and all of those things. Um, so you can also pseudonymize that data, right? You can anonymize that data so that you can forget the elements about Carolyn, which allows you to forget about her while still being able to, to process that data so you can learn how to, to target ads towards people like her. Is There's that considered good enough? Ah, is it considered good enough? According to GDPR and any regulations that are coming or that you're aware of? There are, so GDPR is not the only regulation that had, uh, well, forget the right to be forgotten. It's not the only one that, that has had the notion of de-identification around HIPAA, which has been in existence with us stateside since 95, also has a, 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 a sense of de-identification, right? Because we've been sharing health data for centuries with, with 
you know, other research individuals and, and companies. For example, right now we're trying to trying to fight a pandemic. So a lot of information, health information is shared. So under HIPAA guidance, for example, there is a there is a guideline of what is good enough to be considered de-identified. Um, GDPR doesn't have an explicit notion of what is good enough, where HIPAA explicitly states, you know, to the letter, like, this is what you need to do to consider data de-identified. These elements must no longer exist. And that's you, part of the right to be forgotten, the HIPAA stuff? No, it's not. I was I was giving a corollary okay. to, to Eric's Got question. To my question. Similar? Yeah. 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 Is there something similar? Um, the right you've got does not have a similar stipulation of these are the elements necessary. And one of the reasons for that is the categories of what is personal data is so broad on the GDPR. It is, uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, any directly or indirectly identifiable data. De-identifying indirectly identifiable data is by definition not really possible. Um, at least strictly speaking, there's there are still some mathematical ways which are, to my knowledge, these days mostly theoretical. I've seen some practical applications of them, but not a lot that would allow you to do so. But what you're getting into right now is very much the, the problem of how do we apply the right to be forgotten, given all of these technical challenges, as well as these business impediments to being able to use that data to further grow, which let's be honest, you're not going to not going to stop the Amazons of the world from wanting to, to monetize this data. There will, there will be a push and a fight to figure that out on their part. Is, are there any laws in the U S like GDPR? Is anybody trying to do this here? CCPA, the California consumer protection act is the closest we have to that, which in a lot of ways is very similar. It was drafted with similar language and a similar thought in mind to protect the, the consumer from having their data being monetized and shared beyond their control. Uh, the challenges there is a few. The first is it doesn't go nearly as, as broad as GDPR. The second is, well, it only applies to California and companies that do business with California citizens, which actually does increase its scope because that's a lot of people. A lot of people do business within California, right? Like, I think if separated out onto its own, their GDP would be like, you know, in the top 20th percentile of countries on the planet, right? So a lot of people do business there. Um, so you have to, for in order for that to apply to you, you'd have to, I think, have a business that generates more than 20 or $25 million for, and do business in California uh, with California residents for CCPA to apply. But it's, Okay, but it's, so there are limits at least. There's lots of limits. And it's only Great. California, so there's no federal level of, of uh, right. regulation. And Which that, would responsibility, make it a that responsibility falls on the company that collects the data? It does. And there's sub-processors. So if you collect and process that information on behalf of someone else, then that falls to you also. Yeah. So we see this with with simple data residency requirements, Carolyn, in our business. You know, in certain cases, Canada or some countries in Europe, South America seems like they're getting pretty big on this. They want data residency. They want the data to reside in country. That usually mm -hmm. results in us having to set up a data center or a point of presence there processes and procedures, staffing many times, right? Because not only do they want data residency, they want Canadian citizens or whatever. It becomes an operational, a massive cost, quite frankly. Yeah. So then that I mean, falls on the cybersecurity vendor? Well, well, not just cyber, anybody doing business in that location needs to essentially set up a shop and ensure data, what I'll call data integrity. Gabe, you'll probably balk at that, but like the integrity of the data staying in that country being touched only by 
national residents of that country. So you're mm-hmm. essentially replicating. So instead of being able to consolidate and control cost around operations, ease of use and everything else, you're standing up multiple points of presence that cost millions of dollars a piece over the course of a year at a minimum just to get started. Yeah. What and you, it's hard. What, what, what you see is uh, <laughs> as a nightmare to implement, which is accurate, has also been an absolute gold rush, unfortunately, for some in, in this industry, right? There is so many technologies trying to come to the rescue of, of us, but uh, and some of those things are causing more confusion than, than not. Yeah. So I do have a question for you, Gabe, you know, as, as I watch, you know, the Apple Google war, I'll call it, but it's really, you know, Apple and Google represent different types of companies, different in the way they think about data in my mind. Apple is, appears to be, if you read their privacy policies, which I've started, but you can never get through them all. They appear to obfuscate a lot more information, right? Then, you know, they don't collect as much um, in the cloud or back at corporate identifying information where other companies may want to collect every single morsel they can to make better business decisions. I think you see it with Siri and then you see it with, uh, what's Google, Carolyn? Help me here. Uh, What's what's Google's assistant? Yes, sir. I forget. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. But it's it's much more accurate. Does it matter? It, it, well, it does because it's much more accurate in predicting what I'm going yeah. to do, where I'm going to go next, that type of thing. The series kind of challenged at times because it doesn't have as much data. Mm-hmm. I, I think it doesn't collect as much about me, I should say, or, or so I believe. So I, Gabe, you're not in agreement. No, I'm not. Um, That's good. If you, yeah, if you carry one of these things around, there's nothing it doesn't Phone. do. Yeah. I mean, there's even a gyroscopic device in here so it can tell when you're doing different types of activities right like this knows if i'm sleeping or if i'm climbing a mountain or if i'm rollerblading versus riding a bicycle like that is how much information this device is capable of of collecting and processing on me um and those companies want every single morsel of it they can get right absolutely because again i can monetize every single bit of that if i know that people like gabe like to rollerblade, and I know that because of the gyroscopic activity in his, on his phone, then, you know, that allows me to sell him more goods and services related to that kind of thing. It allows me to do all kinds of stuff, right? Like I might co-locate more uh, sporting equipment to people like that in close locations t- to their distribution centers so that, that, so that when you order something I, that I know you're likely to buy, boom, it's there before noon today. Well, and we like that. I mean, I voluntarily wear an <laughs> Apple watch, right? There you go. Yeah, I, I like the convenience of it. And you like it until you don't. And what until you just, I pee in the woods. There and- you go. <laughs> <laughs> Such a placeholder for all the things that could happen to you. There it is. There that you, you have nothing to do with. <laughs> there you go. And what you just, just highlighted is also one of the, the very important provisions of GDPR is consent, right? You gave them the consent to process that information in the very... The, the very nature of signing up for that service and wearing that watch, you've consented to that, that data collection. So then does and, the and right- most people consent because they just don't want to read the whole privacy document. They no, don't un- understand right. what it is. I mean, I know many educated people, first of all, they don't even take the time to understand it. And if they did, there would be no way to figure out what's in scope and out of scope. And, and as soon as I accept, then does my right to be forgotten? I just signed that away. 
ah, so that's where GDPR and CCPA come back into play. No, they preserve those rights for you. Basically, those regulations are, are aiming to, to define your ownership of your data and give it back to the data subject. That is exactly why they're coming into existence, because you cannot sign those things away. And there is a legal argument currently in play that uh, you have an unalienable right to that, to that information. It is yours, and you cannot give it to anyone else. You cannot sign the rights to that away. Seems like a technical nightmare. It is an absolute technical nightmare. It is wow. in order to implement. So you have another, you have a number of additional challenges. How do you locate and track all of that information? So now that you've collected all this information and it makes its way around inside your businesses in any number of ways, how do you keep track of every single time Callan's information gets replicated in, 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 in a report that gets generated and sent around to 20, 30, 40 people internally, or it replicates throughout all the many systems. And to your point, it also then gets co-located in a number of other technical systems. So it's not, it's not like this information is just sitting in one machine where you can just go, ah, there's all of Carol's machine. I'll just hit the big red delete button. No, 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 no. It's everywhere. So now right. I have to go find it. And that in and of itself is a challenge. Yeah. So Gabe, as we're wrapping up here, um, Honestly, I don't feel like I got a lot of clarity. So help me out. Like, what do we do? (laughs) What's the answer? We we just checked off on the privacy button. We accept, but tell us what the answer is so we don't have to process it. Stay stay calm and don't pee in the woods. That's that's what we get. (laughs) (laughs) The answer actually is, is in where I just left off, which is the only way you'll be able to apply any of the other controls around being able to both, both, uh, stay within regulatory guidelines and the ability to delete it, but also process it legally is by first understanding and knowing where all that information is inside of your system. Like that is step one. If you don't know that, you literally cannot do any of the other things necessary. But but that's so hard. I I worked with an agency a few years ago that did, that was doing smart data tagging or trying to. Yep. And they had a, I don't want to get into specifics, but they had a certain number of of kilobits of a data tag, like a header to every piece of data. And every description you could imagine, probably missing a, another couple hundred thousand pieces that they'd have liked to have had. But the implementation was impossible. Honestly, that just breaks my head. Well, I don't even understand oh, a, what you're saying. Every piece of data had this, this little header with it that said, this is what it is. This is how it's been used on and on and on. Yeah. Well, but uh, you couldn't implement it. How do you go to commercial industry and say, Hey, we're doing smart data tagging. I need you to be able to take this header and apply it to all of the data you put in your systems. It was it was a brilliant idea by a bunch of brilliant scientists that you would never be able to implement. Well, we've got a handful of brilliant scientists that that work for us. Also, we, a couple of them ha- happen to, uh, to to reside right here in Spirit, and it is a large part of what we do. It is in that discovery of sensitive data because. The thing is, you don't need to, to find everything within the environment. You just need to find all of the sensitive data within the environment. You need to find all of the sensitive and subject data within the environment. And that is at the core of what we do, understanding, locating, classifying, and exactly what you're talking about, tagging that information so that we can know where it's at and track it throughout its life cycle, but also manage it as well. And we take the approach that in order for you to be compliant, you first have to understand that information. And in order for you to understand and control that information, you've got to be able to find it as well. So we work our way backwards from that problem. And how many companies in your experience, I'll give you, I'll give you my number in a bit. How many companies in your experience understand their data? Uh, the answer is none. Okay. So you and I are fully in unison there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, first yeah. challenge. Yeah, yeah. No, the answer is definitely none. It, 
a large part of understanding their data comes from from you know understanding their business at the core. So even if you look at our customers, I would argue that many of them understand the challenge and the problem, so they're they're working towards it. But understanding the totality of all of your data is not always a thing. Let me put it this way: I don't know that that should be the goal, right? Because this kind of goes back to some of the old problems we've had in security in general is just want to apply controls to all the things. To everything, everything equally. You can't do that. You shouldn't try to do that, right? And so we break that problem down into, we're not going to try to understand every single thing. Let's understand the things that matter and let's start there and protect those things because trying to understand everything is fool's Follow up then. Watch this, Carolyn. How many people understand the different types of data they have, the different risk levels to that data, what's important, what's not in your experience? I think there is- Greater a, than zero. It's greater than, yeah, it's a non-zero yeah. number. <laughs> right, which is progress. We're, we're good, Carolyn. We're doing yeah. better. It's a non-zero number. I, I, I'll say this. Five years ago, that answer was a lot closer to zero. Like yeah. more organizations today understand that than ever. And now that we have things like GDPR and CPA pushing them in that direction, I think you'll continue to see that maturity increase throughout organizations. Okay. And in the government that I deal with, you typically hear it in the civilian space as high value assets. You'll yeah. see the DOD focusing on- components of weapon systems or classified programs. And they understand that there is a, a level of uh, importance that, that may be higher than other data. Do you think the government does it better, Eric? Maybe? No. No. Uh, No, I think if I had to take a guess, and this is not my area of expertise, Gabe, I'll defer to you. My gut says the financials have it pretty well, have it down pretty well. Healthcare because of HIPAA clearly you know, there is, there is data that is within scope of HIPAA and out of scope. Anything within is going to be classified and protected very differently. I think the government is just starting to get its hands around it. And they don't even know what they have and where they have it, you know, to Gabe's point. You're, you're heading in the right direction. What you've just highlighted is that industries that have been heavily regulated have already been thinking about this problem for a while. PCI, because they had to. Because they had to. Um, yeah. Government being somewhat self-regulated, uh, unless you're, you're counting. Or unregulated. Or unregulated, right. One of the bigger challenges they have also is their notions of classification break down along the lines of information, not just data. Um, there's a bit of nuance in there, but it's why they have classifications like unclassified controlled information. It needs to be controlled, even though it doesn't have a classification. And their classifications are different in terms of uh, – because the, their threat assessments – are are quite different than those related to to that of you know say Amazon or Apple. But but even there, if we were recording this podcast on a secret level network, it would be classified as secret by default because oh. it's sitting on that network. That's a whether this podcast has any value whatsoever really doesn't matter in that case. In fact, even if I want to put it on an unclassed network. I have to go through this massively difficult, onerous process to get it declassified. Somebody's got to listen to the whole thing. They got to understand the context. You've got to be able to justify it. It takes months and months. They don't necessarily understand this podcast as a low risk value asset. They just, it's classified secret because it's on that network. So even in that case, it's challenging, Carolyn. And you could not apply that level of rigor to a technology enabled business and have them profit. Right. Because to move this podcast from secret to unclass, right. a human would have to listen to it. Right. 
Well, and right. I there's keep no going automation to... that's going to make that happen. No. I mean, hopefully humans will listen to this. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. But I'm saying from a classification purpose, I mean, think about if you had, it, so take the podcast away, but just transactional records. You had somebody who had to step through hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of records in the case of an Amazon or a Walmart or anybody like that. It's got to be an automated, easy process. So I think there is a, there, there, there is a need for some level of regulation because it does drive better data privacy um, considerations. Yeah. I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, well, you know, I'm not always a big fan of more regulation, but unfortunately right. left to their own devices, I don't think there's any impetus for industry to to protect our information. More importantly, there's far more, there's far more impetus to abuse it, if not classify because it can be, it is, it is worth it quite a bit. Like it, the, again, the ability to understand everything about a human being and their behavior. Um, you know, I, I need to only point you to things like Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica to understand just the depth right. of that problem, right? Like they, it would get abused versus not if uh, left to their own devices. So back to the beginning of the podcast, if you pee on the internet or in the internet pool, no one hears it or everybody has the ability to see it. Yeah. I mean, they could, it, it's out there. It is out there. You cannot remove it. It is yeah. no getting it back. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Archive.org is a testament to that, right? No kidding. I use that a lot. Yeah. 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 The Wayback Machine. I don't know. The, the idea of more regulations just kind of makes my stomach hurt. Uh, There's moderation. Regulations. Yeah. yeah. Regulations are there for a reason. You can't abuse them. Yeah. But look at HIPAA. Nobody would say HIPAA is perfect, but it, in this case, it's probably positioned us a little better to protect data. Yeah. Protect privacy. Yeah. It is, to your point, HIPAA not only being perfect, the, the P in HIPAA stands for Portability Act. And I think we would all argue that we've not achieved the portability of our own health information whatsoever. Right. So it, it, it probably hasn't stood up to that test, but it has had the byproduct of, of helping secure our personal information, our, our health information. So. Thank you. I, I don't know that I, like I said, <laughs> I don't know that you, I feel huh? any more clarity than I did at the beginning, but. Well, well I can give you clarity. You'll give it's me Google clarity? Assistant. Yeah. Oh, there right. we go. Siri, Cortana okay. for Microsoft and Google Assistant. There we go. Google All Google. right. Well, thanks, Eric. There's a little clarity if that helps, Carolyn, ending the show. <laughs> it's a little bit. Yeah. Well, Gabe, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks to our listeners for joining us. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 